0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Will you pray with me as uh, we get ready to have a look at God's Word together? Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. Uh, We ask you now to speak to us, each one individually, Lord. We come to your presence ready to hear from you. Um, So open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears to hear and to understand. I pray you'd help me, Father, to teach this passage faithfully, um, clearly, and that we would all hear what you have to say and we would be changed, we'd be different because of it. We thank you for the power of your word that it always does what you have planned for it to do, and we trust in that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you had a great Christmas. I don't know about you, but it always just spins so fast for me. Here we are, five days away from what? One new year, right? The end of one year, the beginning of another. We're about a month away from desperation and failure because we will have made New Year's resolutions (laughs) and broken them, or at least I will have. but you know, with the, the time of the new year, it, it always is at least a, a time for uh, many of us of reflection. So don't you look back a little on the year that just passed. Uh, maybe for some of you, it was a good year. You're thankful, you're celebrating. Maybe for some of you, you're thankful that the year is over um, and hoping for something new. Um, but even as you look to the new year, there's probably some things you're hoping for, some things you're excited about. Um, maybe there are some ways you want some things to improve. You're, you're looking at how that could happen. And perhaps there's some fears or concerns or even things that you're dreading as you face the new year. Is that true for any of you? At any rate, ready or not, here it comes, 2016. Here's my question as we face all these things. Uh, Do you need God to act for you? Do you need God to work for you? To act in your life? To act in your relationships? um, To act in this church? Do we need God? How much exactly do you need God to act on your behalf? I want to show you this verse from Psalm 127, verse 1. Will you read it with me? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the psalmist seems to be playing, you could work and you could guard. But unless God is building and God is guarding, yay for you. It doesn't work. This verse is saying, you don't know how desperate you are for God to act in your life. If you're plugged into reality at all, the reality of a holy creator, God who's sovereign over all things, you know that you need him. So next question, if we know we need God to act, is there anything you can do to see more of his work in your life? Is there anything we can do to to enjoy more of his work in our church Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know we've been doing a a series on persuasion. That's to convince someone using compelling evidence. But we've really been looking at a horizontal level. As our memory verse said, knowing the fear of the Lord, if you worship Jesus, you wanna persuade others about the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we, we persuade others. So that's kind of horizontal. Today, I wanna think a bit on a vertical level. A vertical level. Your relationship with God. Um, what can we do when we're desperate for God to act? And this almost sounds wrong to say, how do we persuade God? Can you, can you do such a thing? Can you use compelling evidence with God and hope that he'll act? Hmm, To answer that, we're going to look at this prayer from a man named Daniel, just as a little bit of background. Remember how unique Daniel was, unique life, unique person. Remember some of those details, his life was unique. Um, He started among the ruling class, the elite of Israel. He was politically powerful, or his family was. He was wealthy, at least his family was. But at about age 14, can you imagine this? His nation was ravaged by Babylon, and he was stolen away from his home, stolen away from his family to be culturally indoctrinated by the most powerful nation on earth. And he's just, scholars guess, a young teen at that point. How cataclysmic that would be, overwhelming. Yet somehow in the midst of these incredible challenges, he thrived, he rose to the top leadership positions. Unique life, also a unique man. Um, One thing that strikes me about Daniel is how gracious he was. So how many of you are either Republicans or Democrats? Okay, how many of you are fed up, right? Um, imagine having to work for the political party you can't stand and doing such a great job they keep promoting you to the top. Most of us wouldn't do that. Daniel's working for Nebuchadnezzar. He likes nearly none of what Nebuchadnezzar believes in and he's the best guy Nebuchadnezzar has. That's shocking how gracious Daniel is. Another thing that's shocking about how Dan, uh, Daniel is how stubborn he is as well. He will not cross the line. He doesn't care if it kills him. He worships one God, one God only. He won't have anything to do with worshiping these Babylonian gods. It doesn't matter how hot the pressure is. He knows to whom he belongs, and he's sticking with it. Gracious and stubborn, awesome. I want to be like that. Not only so, Daniel's a prophet. Here we are reading what he wrote a long time from when he wrote it. And through him, God spoke to some of the most powerful kings the world has ever seen. So as we come to, da- to chapter 9, we've got Daniel's prayer here. And you probably notice that Daniel seems desperate for God to act. He really, 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 really wants God to act Powerfully, And so we can look at what he does. We can look at how he prays. I think it's, it's here, at least in part, to be a model for us. Pray like this. Now, we can't possibly consider every detail in this prayer this morning, but I want to look with you at how Daniel is desperate for God to work, and I want you to notice three things he does in response to that desperation. And if you want God to work in your life, our lives, this church. This is an example for us to follow together. So first of all, let's look at Daniel's desperation. Verses one to two. Hope you'll follow along in your Bibles. Page uh, 746 in the chair Bibles. So first of all, Daniel notes the date of his prayer. I guess he journals. Here's Daniel's date, verse one. In the first year of Darius, or Darius, the son of that guy, Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Got to do a little backstory, don't we? Um, Daniel's from Israel, And the point of Israel is that they would be a light to the world. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to build you up. I'm going to give you grace, make out of you a family. Out of that family is going to be a nation. The point of me blessing you, Abraham, God said, is to bless all the nations. So Israel, the nation that came of Abraham's family, was meant to be a light to the world. They would worship God and the world would see God's goodness and glory in them. Unfortunately, instead of being a light to the nations, Israel became just like the nations. And God did just what he promised he would do. They were judged for their rebellion. And so one way this happened was that the nation of Babylon came and conquered them. And you realize, biblically thinking, this ended the Davidic kingship, and it burnt down the temple, the place where you'd go to worship God. So it seems at this point in the biblical story, this thing is hopeless. This is not going to work. God can't save. We're lost in our sin. It's over. It's a wreck. It's shambles. And yet, God had promised in his prophets that still he wasn't done. He would save. Let me show you one. This is from Isaiah chapter 44. We'll look at verses 24 and 28. The prophet Isaiah said, thus said the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I'm the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So just enjoy. What is God saying about himself? I made the whole mess, and I didn't need any advisors. I didn't need a boost. I did it by myself. So if I can make everything by myself, how awesome am I? How beautiful, how wise, how powerful, so great. And then look at what God says in in verse 28. This is really shocking because this is before Cyrus is Cyrus. Verse 28, God says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So even though Babylon comes in and totally ransacks Israel, God says, well, there's going to be a king named Cyrus. None of the Babylonians named their king Cyrus. There's going to be a king named Cyrus, and under him, what's going to happen? The city's going to be rebuilt. The temple is going to be rebuilt. God is going to save. So Daniel, he's also reading Jeremiah, and he's putting all this together, because now he's saying, hey, 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 look. Babylon, Babylon has just fallen. That's what he's saying in verse 1. Can you believe this? It was unbelievable. This is the most powerful nation the world has ever seen. They've just fallen. And now the Medo-Persian empire has taken their place. And do you know what uh, Darius, in verse 1, do you know what he's also known as? Cyrus. So do you hear what Daniel's hearing? He's been in Babylon in exile from 14 to now he's 80 or something. And he's like, it's time. It could be. It could be. He can send us home. He can rebuild us. He can remake us. How bad do you think Daniel wants that? Please. Please. He's desperate for God to act. He's desperate. Now look what he does. Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession. So, so you're watching it. I'm watching it. Daniel's desperate for God to act. What, what does he do? He prays. Not only pr- he, he not only prays. He prays. I want you to see he prays personally and he prays passionately with confession. Personally and passionately with confession. I turned my face to the Lord my God. What does that mean? He's got, he's got my attention. He's got my gaze. He's got my thoughts. It's personal. I'm, 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 I'm invested. I'm looking. I'm looking. I love how he also says in verse four, I prayed to the Lord, my God. You know, we we have theological ideas about God which are true and they're important, but it's so easy for us somehow as human beings to have things that we believe are true that we don't personally engage in, that we don't personally invest in. So you believe in God, perhaps. Is he your God? Does he have your desires, your passion, your focus, your interest, your zeal? your thinking, your mindset. Uh, we, don't, we, just, we don't just want to believe in a God. Daniel goes to his God, and we could all ask of ourselves, is the God you believe in your God, the one who owns you, compels you? He prays personally. Um, not only that, he's confessing sin. Uh, you may have picked that up as the Scripture was read. Pretty much the entire chapter is confession of sin. Do you do this when you pray? Um, we could say, Jesus, just sounds like a guilt trip. Is that what you're supposed to be doing? You know, it's interesting. Of, of all the heroes in the Bible, you read your Bibles, you can think of some of the, the heroes. Abraham, good or bad? <laughs> well, you could... He lies. He pimps out his wife to save his own neck. Uh, Good or bad? Well, that's bad. But he trusted God, and God made him righteous, and he did some good stuff, too. He did act on faith. David, good or bad? Well, there's a lot of good, wrote most of the Psalms, man after God's own heart. He did have some bad moments. Well, for his sake, we won't go into those. Nobody in this room has anything on Daniel. This is one of the good, good, good guys. Now, the Bible's not shy to show you the flaws of its heroes, not shy at all. You don't see any of Daniel's flaws. Now, I'm not saying he was sinless or he had, he had no flaws. I'm just saying that out of the scope of history of the, of the godliest, greatest, most amazing heroes to walk the earth, Daniel is one of them. And when he prays, he doesn't go, dear God, please forgive that sorry nation over there. They have been awful. They are so bad. How many of you love to proclaim the evils of they? Uh, Christians do this. You know, the church. The church, they just always, you know. Oh, they. Have you seen my, my family? They. Well, let's, let's leave all the evil doing way out there on the horizon. Daniel, who I'm just gonna go ahead and bet that he's better than we are. Not shy at all to say we, I. I'm in this, we. Personally, confessing. As soon as you come into the presence of a holy God, Isaiah, he was good, good guy. When he comes into the presence of a holy God, he says, I'm undone. And you know what the sin he mentions is? I, I, my mouth is unclean. If you can't find any sins, just ask God to show you some of the things you've said in the last week. You'll find some things you said about them. <laughs> we confess. We we go personally to our God and we confess ourselves honestly. Not only that, we pray passionately. Passionately. Uh, you see Daniel using. Uh, he says. Verse three, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, pleas for mercy, fasting, sackcloth, ashes. Th- does he seem just kind of apathetic about this? He mentions it before he eats his sandwich. Oh God, please help, and thanks for the sandwich. Amen. Or is there something more going on here? He's passionate. You know, how passionate was Daniel? You, remember, you, you know the Sunday school story, right? It wasn't Sunday school for Daniel. Uh, later, Medo-Persian political leaders will want to frame Daniel. They don't like that he's in power over them. And so they're, they're dirt digging. And what do they find, you remember? They've got, they, they've got nothing, nothing, except he prays. Three times a day, windows open, towards Jerusalem, he prays. That's all they have on him. So they convince the powers that be to make a law that you can't pray to that God anymore. You know what Daniel does after they make that law? He goes home, and not, you and I, we could be like, well, God knows what's in my heart. Or we could just, you know, it was a cold day. I left the shutters closed that afternoon. Not Daniel. Law is made. He goes home, opens the windows, and prays three times a day, just like always. And he knows what's going to happen if he does it, thrown to the lions. I don't know about you, but I think someone's passionate about prayer, when the threat is, unless you quit praying, we're throwing you to the lions, and he's like, throw me to the lions. I'm not quitting. Does prayer have anything like that kind of a place in our lives? He prays passionately, and guess what? He's praying this prayer. He's praying Daniel 9, right here. He will die to pray this prayer. He wants God to work so badly I think our prayer lives show us how seriously we believe we need God. Your prayer life shows you how seriously you believe you need God. Not formally believe. We all would say, oh, I need him a lot. At least Christians would, I hope. But our prayer life shows you how much you actually believe that statement. How many of you pray more when life is harder? <laughs> Me too. That's because you can feel it more. Oh, I need him. Um, I want God to act this year. Don't you want him to act in your life this year? You need him to act? Well, first step, if you follow Daniel's example, pray personally, passionately, with confession. Second thing to see is that Daniel prays out of God's word. He prays out of God's word. So look back at verse two. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived where? In the books, what books? Bible books. The number of the years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before we can go home. What's he reading? At least Jeremiah, as you look through this prayer, you will see references to Leviticus, to De- Deuteronomy, and to Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 8. The thing is drenched with Bible. Drenched. For our time this morning, let's just look at the passage from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29.10. Can I get that up? This was God's promise through the prophet. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then it's kind of a famous verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So what did God promise? 70 years, I'm bringing you back. Now, just pause for a moment. How amazing is that? When majority cultures and majority nations overwhelm minority cultures and nations in this way, the minority nations and cultures don't usually end up going back. There are so many cultures and nations that we don't have anymore. They get swallowed up. And for God to say, I'm going to let the most powerful nation on earth take you away and then I'm going to let the next most powerful nation on earth send you home and rebuild everything on their dime. That's kind of an impressive prophecy. Is anyone else like, wow? That's what God said I'm going to do. And so can you imagine Daniel just choking it when he's like, oh, that's now. Oh my gosh, that's now. That is right now. So God promised he'd bring him back. Okay, theological question for you. I bet you've asked this before. So let's just plug it in. Who promised to take Israel back after 70 years? God did, he's gonna do it, right? Period, he's gonna do it, okay? So why pray for it if he's gonna do it? Haven't you wondered that before? Uh, As Christians, we believe in a sovereign God. Sovereignty, put very simply, basically just means he does whatever he wants whenever he wants, he's in control, he's Lord. We read earlier from Isaiah, that's because he makes everything from scratch by the word of his power. He's in control, always in control, never not in control. If that's the case, why pray? You ever had that question? You could imagine Daniel just being like, well, he promised it. I'm just going to kick my feet up. In fact, I'm not going to go to the lion's den for this. God already said he's going to do it. He doesn't need me praying for it. Why risk my neck? God's sovereign. How many of you would be like, that's good thinking. (laughs) Daniel won't do it. Not even close. Let me show you the next few verses of Jeremiah 29. Remember, we already heard Jeremiah say, or God say through Jeremiah, I'm going to bring him back. But look at 29, 12. Then you will what? Call upon me and come and what? Pray to me, and I will hear you. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. Hmm. God has sovereignly promised to bring Israel back, and he will do it but he's also said there's a condition to be met. God's people will go home when they what? Pray. When they pray. God plans that things will happen. If he wants them to happen, they will happen. And so will all the conditions necessary to make them happen. He's sovereign over the conditions. They won't happen without the conditions but if he wants it to happen, the conditions will happen as well. God has ordained that Israel would return under Cyrus, and one condition was that God's people would pray personally and passionately with confession. This is what clicks for Daniel. You you don't read the promises of God and go, oh, let's just cross our feet and put our hands behind our back and watch television. That is not how it works biblically. If we do that, we're we're manipulating truth about God into some sort of physics equation. Well, God is sovereign, and therefore, I don't need to do anything. That is never what the Bible says. Never. Daniel sees this, and he prays with all his heart. Because God is sovereign, and God acts, and God has sovereignly ordained that he would act according to God to the prayers of his people. So if you believe in the sovereignty of God and you're not praying, no, you don't. Not a biblical version, right? If you believe in the sovereignty of God, he acts, and he acts according to the prayers of his people. You know James is bold enough to say this. James chapter four verse two. James believes in a sovereign God. Look what he says. You don't have. Why? You didn't ask. So for trying to plug, if trying to plug it in. If God didn't so, if if, he, if God's people aren't praying passionately, maybe didn't. Maybe God didn't sovereignly ordain it. If you, if you need to look at it that way. All I know is Daniel doesn't say, oh, God is sovereign. I can take it easy. Daniel says, God is sovereign. He's promised. And then Daniel, what? He prays. He prays. He prays. He prays. I want God to sovereignly act in my life, in your life, in our church, according to his promises. So what should we do? Just yawn and say, God's sovereign. Let's Don't worry about it. No, pray, pray personally, passionately, and pray out of Scripture. Pray out of Scripture. Um, Isn't it awesome that the sovereign God who made heaven and earth seems to enjoy our partnership with Him as we pray? I mean, that He would include Daniel's prayer and how He's working the nations. That He would include our prayers and what He's doing to save people, what He's doing to work in the world. That. Aren't you kind of blown away that the sovereign, holy God of the universe wants to hear from you? That he's got time, he's got an ear to be like, what do you want? And, th- and not only that, that he's given us this conversation, he's given us his word, and it seems we're meant to take this word and know it and love it and spit it back out at him. God, you promised this. This is what you're doing. Do it here. Do it now. Do it in me. Do it in us. It turns, how many of you get distracted, lose your train of thought when you're praying? Me too. Okay, take that Bible right there. Take that Bible, read that Psalm, read something, understand what it means, and, and listen to God speak and turn it right back at him. God, do this. Do this in me, do this in my church, do this in this person. You, you will find a, a million things to pray for out of that. Con- Prayer will turn into a conversation, and you'll know you're on the right path because guess who ordained what you're praying? God, I don't know if this is your will. Yeah, you do. Right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Pray personally and passionately with confession and pray out of Scripture. That's how you pray. Last one. Pray into God's character. Now, I'm gonna summarize a lot of this, but you may have seen, as you heard the Scripture, a contrast. There's a contrast continually between what we are like And what God is like. So let's just, uh, let's kind of fly over this. Look at verse four. What does Daniel say about God? The Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. So God has integrity. He's, he's, uh, He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And look at us, verse five. According to at least Daniel as he thinks of Israel. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside from your commandments and rules. Here's we again, verse six. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Boy, that hit me. Just don't listen. You know, for our, for our day and time, there's probably an average of 8.6 Bibles that each one of us own. How many Bibles do you own? And we also have Bible websites and Bible Everything. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of these. We'd love to give one to you. Bibles, Bibles, Bibles. Do we listen? Do we listen? Not listen to your servants. Uh, Back to God, verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. You're always faithful. Uh, You have integrity in your character, verse 7. But to us, open shame. The treachery we've committed. Look at verse 8. To us, open shame. We've sinned against you. Verse 9, there's God again, the contrast. To to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. To us, we've, we've rebelled. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Even still, we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Man, when the rain came, we didn't even look at you, God. We didn't even try to come back. But verse 14, the Lord our God is righteous. Do you see a contrast? We, faithful or unfaithful? Unfaithful, we've sinned. He, faithful or unfaithful? Faithful, integrity. Huh. I wanna take your, your eyes down here down to verse 19. This is really the... The climax of the prayer, verse 19. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for, and that for right there means because. Because, okay, now stop. Because what? Because what? We have sinned, God is faithful. Okay, if we wanna persuade God to act, what should we throw out there as motivation for him? You'll notice Daniel doesn't throw out, we deserve it, O oh Lord. I'm a good person. I went to church, God, so please, I did whatever. And, and, and again, if anybody in the Bible could do this, it would be Daniel. But he, he looks at himself and his people and says, there is... There is no righteousness in and of ourselves that could cause God or motivate God to act on our behalf. If he acted based upon what we have done according to his law, we'd get more Babylon. Do you see that? Now that sounds like a downer, but really this is, this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing coming up right here. What does Daniel say, verse 19, Delay not, why? For your own sake. What was that again? I don't want you to miss this. Daniel is pleading with God to act, and the motivation he gives to God to act is, delay not, why? For your own sake. Or as he says later, for your people in the city called by your name. Because of who you are, because of your fame, because of how you're seen, act based he's saying act upon your love for your own glory did you know that god loves his glory he does especially in the trinitarian life the father loves to glorify the son the son loves to glorify the father the spirit seems to be this life of love and the person of it glorifying just this triune picture of perfection and you think wow that's selfish and prideful there's a there's a distinction that needs to be made here. Now, if I act for my own glory, you're allowed to be disgusted. And why is that? Because I'm not that glorious, right? <laughs> this is why you don't like prideful people, because it's a lie, right? It's a sham. And the more you dislike prideful people, what can you know about yourself? Why does it rub your feathers so bad that they're, <laughs> okay? <laughs> We've all got the, the pride problem, The reason it's wrong for us to promote our own glory is because it's false. My my glory will not save you. My glory will not help you. There is a slight, namely infinite, difference between my glory and God's glory. He actually is goodness. He actually is life and joy. It is actually mean of him to not glorify himself to you, Because he is what you need the most. It would be unloving for him not to shine in full glory and say, here, this is what you need. Because he's God. He acts for his own glory. He acts for his own sake, always, every time, infinitely, personally, perfectly, passionately. When Jesus says, it's time to hit the cross, John 12, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? And then Jesus says, no. Father, glorify your name. That's why I went to the cross. Glorify your name. And so, this is our hope. Because if you're praying for God to ask and you're trying to motivate him based on your own little good things that you've done, eh. But if you bear his name, if you wear his name, if you belong to him, And you say, act for your name's sake. That means he is just as committed to you as he is to his name and his glory because you wear it. You're connected. Do you see that? If God's glory depends on his saving you, he'll save you. He always loves his glory. If it depends on your performance, you're in trouble because your performance, (laughs) no hope there no hope. God save me because I oh, eh, I didn't do that right. But we've got hope here if God acts for the sake of his name. The key is how do we get into his name is on me? And this is where we have something better than Daniel ever did. Israel failed in shining that light to the world, but the light of the world came ultimate Israel, the true Jew, who's that? Jesus. And he did it right. Lived a life of perfection. And he'll give that standing of perfection to you simply by faith. Trust him for it. He took the wrath of God we deserve for our sins upon himself on the cross. And he'll forgive every one of your sins washing you perfectly clean and it's free. Trust in him by faith and it's yours. He rose from the dead and we have new life in his name. In fact, you believe... You trust in him and what's supposed to happen to you. Uh, Make disciples, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The true baptism is what's happened to you when you trust Christ. You are united to him. You wear his name. Wow. What can you pray for now? Why do we always end with in the Name of Jesus, because we're saying, Father, we know nothing motivates you like this. Your son did it perfectly. There's a wonderful verse in the book of Hebrews where it says that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain whacks his brother. His brother's dead. And God says, his blood is crying out to me from the ground. That's kind of a symbolic way to say, what? What do you think that blood is saying? Hey, bring some justice around here. He killed me. I'm innocent. Bring some justice. Give Cain what he deserves. That's what Abel's blood said. Give him what he deserves. What's Jesus' blood say? I paid for that. Give him what I deserve. You hear that? You hear what his blood says for you? Give him what I deserve. Father, give these people who trust in me what I deserve. Act for the sake of my name, Jesus says. Ah, if you are in Christ, you're locked and loaded. You, You motivate God's heart like a child to a father. You can pray into his character. Let me show you one example as we close. Look what Paul prays in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Paul says to this church, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So does God want, does Paul want God to act on behalf of this church? Yeah, a lot. Always pray for him. I'm always praying for you. I want this bad. And what are two things that Paul wanted for the church? If you'd be worthy of his calling, you're called to belong to Jesus. Oh, that should... That should change your life. By the power of God's spirit, that should work in you, that 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 would continue. Not only that, that every work of faith would be resolved. So when you got plans to work for the Lord or somebody you wanna share the gospel with or people you wanna love and serve, you got plans, you're like, I'd really love to do this for the Lord. Paul's praying that God would, would answer that, that he resolve that. And why? What's the motivation? Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him for the sake of the name, for the sake of his glory. When you pray passionately and personally with confession out of God's word into God's character, who he is, that's the kind of prayer Daniel 9 says God's listening. He has sovereignly ordained that that's the kind of prayer That motivates him to act. So it's a model for us, isn't it? God has acted for us in Jesus, and by his grace, we bear his name. So let's do this. Let's pray passionately and personally with confession out of God's word into his character and know that he'll act, not always as we hope or as we imagine, but always for our good. So I'd love it if you came and prayed with us this Friday. I'd love it if we prayed like this all year. Let's pray right now. In Jesus' name. Our Father, we come to you and we need you to act. Lord, we're each thinking of uh, one thing or another. And we we pray, God, that you would... uh, Come to us in a new way, a powerful way, and that you would act. So we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We confess each one. Um, we haven't kept your law or your standards. We've rebelled. We haven't listened. We haven't wanted you. We put you on the back burner, uh, been very casual. God, forgive us. We want you to act, Lord. We want you to be glorified in our lives. We want to change things uh, in our families, our relationships, our character, our habits. We want to make a dent. We want to shine your light in this world. Will you act for us, God? Act in our marriages. Act for our kids, our friends, um, our career paths, Lord. Um, just our lives, we, want, we devote them to you. So we pray, Lord, out of your word that um, trusting you always act for our good for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you have given us your spirit to to give us new lives and living for you. And Lord, we pray this not because we deserve it, but because uh, we wear the name of your Son. And it's for his glory, his glory that we pray all these things. And we pray it in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.